6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. This series is entitled, Learn the Bible in 24 Hours. In today's study, Dr. Missler continues his session entitled, Revelation Part 1. He that hath an ear. How many of you in the room have an earlobe? Can I see a show of hands? Okay. If your hand is up, it's written to you. It's personal. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is also, it applies, it applied locally, historically. It applied as admonition to churches in general. It also applies to you personally to understand the dilemma and the solution uh, each of these seven letters. Well, that's all pretty straightforward stuff. Let me show you the surprise. This also, these letters, lay out a history of the church. This is the most amazing part of these letters, and if they were in any other order, this wouldn't happen. In the order they're in, once you understand the letters, it's astonishing, because they lay out seven periods of church history with some surprising precision. Each letter has seven design elements. If you, when you study these seven things, you'll, each one has, there's a name of a church, and you'll discover the name of the church turns out to be significant to its message. Each church has a specific message, a specific theme, if you will. The name of the church turns out to be relevant to that. The title that Jesus Christ uses of himself is different for each letter, and it's appropriate to the mission of that particular church, or the, 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 the issues that face that church. Then there's a commendation. Hey guys, here's your report card. Here's what you got an A in. Then there's some areas of concern, and there's exhortation. It's like a report card. Let me tell you something that's really interesting about the seven letters in advance. Every church is surprised. The churches that thought they were doing great were doing terribly. The churches that thought they were doing terribly were doing great. You know, that's sobering. People like to organize church, you know, by watching the first century. I wouldn't do that. First century is all screwed up. <laughs> Everybody there is surprised. If you want to you design church governance, go to the Scripture. Go to the book of Acts. Go to, this, go to these seven letters and so forth. Anyway, there's seven things. I said there's the name of the church, title of Christ, the accommodation, a concern, and exhortation. And then there's a promise to the overcomer. There's a specific little prize for the overcomer. And the seventh element is this weird little phrase. It's almost like it's the close of the letter. It's sort of like a closing passage. Except it's not always closing. There's something very, that most people miss that I want to show you, and I think it's very significant. So these are seven elements. And we hear the churches. We have Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Each one ha name means something, and then uh, and we'll go through. Then each one has a title of Christ, and so forth. Let's take the first one. The letter to Ephesus. 
unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and walketh in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. The name Ephesus means darling. Darling. It's a term of courtship. These things saith he, Jesus Christ, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He gives them a commendation. I know thy works. Oh, that's wonderful to hear, Lord. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and thou, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my namesake has labored, and hast not fainted. Woo-wee! That's A plus in that category. Done good, guys. You may recall in Acts chapter 20 when Paul gave his farewell address to the Ephesian elders. He warned them that there was going to be wolves coming among you that's going to not spare the flock. Very warned about false teachers and so forth. Apparently, Paul's advice was heeded. They apparently were terrific. They did not allow false doctrine. They tried them, which they, their apostles, and are not, and found them liars. They did a good job with doctrine. They were sharp. They were orthodox. They were also patient. They labored, persevered. Terrific. Well done, guys. Whoops. Nevertheless. You're before your boss. Your boss says, man, you've really done great. You did this, 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 this. You're feeling pretty good. Your thumb goes under your suspenders or whatever. Then your boss says, nevertheless, ooh. I mean, that's deflating. Pink slips in his right hand. I mean, you just see it coming, right? Nevertheless, heavy word right here. Jesus is saying to them, after all this good stuff, he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast what? Left thy first love. Heavy stuff. They were so busy on the business of the king, they had no time for the king. Are you so busy in ministry, helping the poor, doing all this stuff, that you don't have time for personal devotions? <sighs> Missed the real point. So he goes on, Remember therefore, from when thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy lampstand out of his place, except thou repent. Where is Ephesus where is their lampstand today? It's a great place to visit because they're elaborate ruins. They're one of the best of the seven churches to visit. It's really worth doing. It's incredible. But it's ruins. The lampstand isn't there anymore. Anyway, he says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is a point of a lot of, a lot of different scholars have different... Who are the Nicolaitans? There are at least two theories. Some books suggest that there was a first century sect called the Nicolaitans that abused the liberty in Christ. Found after it, it's speculative out of a guy by the name of Nicholas, who was um, one of the seven that was chosen to administer to the poor in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 6. Some feel that he founded a sect, and that's really what somehow um, it was uh, involving. That may be true. Some people hold that view. I don't. I suspect something different. I think it's an untranslated word. The word negeo means to conquer, overcome, or rule. 
And the word laity, laos, laos, means laity or people. The word, the Nicolaitans, the term implies conquering or ruling over the people. I believe what was emerging here that Jesus did not like was the whole concept of the clergy ruling over the laity. Jesus gave us our org chart when he dealt with the washing of the feet. You may recall in uh, John 13, Jesus told us how we should be organized. Let he that's the chief among you be the servant of all. See, I think the Nicolaitans were those that were using their clerical stature or position to rule over the laity. And I don't think that was God's plan. I don't see any of that in the Scripture. And having a, some senior elders do teaching, that's fine. But it doesn't say they rule over the people. You had deacons to help. And there's, there's a whole different concept suggested. I think this, the, the formalism that we see in some denominations, I think, is Nicolaitanism. That's just my personal view. Anyway, then we come to this then, because he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then we have the promise of the overcomer. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Okay, so there's this unique promise to the overcomer. I want you to notice that this he that hath an ear phrase, which closes the letter, we have the promise of the overcomer as a postscript, like a PS. Follow me? The first three letters have that design. The last four are different. I'll come to that when we get there, but just I want you to notice it here as we go through here. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says, churches. And then as a postscript, we have the promise to the overcomer. Each promise to the overcomer is unique in each letter. Let's go to the next letter, the letter to Smyrna. The word Smyrna is a synonym for myrrh. Myrrh is an embalming ointment. The word myrrh suggests death. When the Magi visited Bethlehem, they brought three gifts. There weren't three Magi, there were more than that, but there were three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Good. In the millennium, Isaiah tells us, they're going to bring the Lord gifts. They're going to bring him gold and frankincense. No myrrh. No more myrrh. <laughs> Why? Because the Magi were prophesying his death. The millennium, his death is once and for all behind him. Interesting. I want you to notice these things because it demonstrates the integrity of design of the Scripture. But in any case, the church in Smyrna speaks of death. This is an interesting letter for a number of reasons. Let's go on. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Notice the very title Jesus chooses of himself is the one that would be the most encouraging to those that were facing death and persecution. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. It's interesting that I think the Smyrna listeners were surprised. They're doing better than they thought they were. You see, you thought, I know your works in tribulation and poverty, I know that. But then he tells them a little footnote. But you are rich. Really? Yeah. And I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. 
I am very concerned when I hear people feel that the church replaces Israel. Because they're saying they're Jews and they're not. If that's what Jesus is talking about, boy, I don't want to trade places with them. Let's move on. Then there's an exhortation. I want you to notice something's missing. Did you notice there was no concern? There's a commendation, and there is an exhortation, some, you know, some encouragement. But there's no common. This is, this is one of two letters that has nothing bad said about it. But Jesus goes on and says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. And then we again have a postscript. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. You see, you want to be, if you're born twice, you die once. If you're only born once, you die twice. Let you chew on that one. But I want you to notice that the promise to overcome is a postscript. How interesting. Strange stuff. Ten days. It's interesting that the persecutions of the church... Uh, scholars have suggested that it came in ten specific waves. Nero, Domitian, who was, he, he was the, that's where John was exiled. Trajan had Ignatius uh, burned at the stake. Um, uh, Nero is the one that had Paul beheaded and uh, Peter crucified upside down. The ten days cover about 250 years, actually. Uh, Trajan uh, had Ignatius burned at the stake. Um, Marcus Aurelius had Polycarp martyred, Bishop of Smyrna. Severus uh, had uh, Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, killed. Maximus uh, killed Ursala and Hippolytus. And uh, Diocletian was the worst of all of them. But ten days, interestingly enough. Let's go on to the next one. The letter to Pergamus. The word Pergamus, you know what bigamy means? That's two marriage, double marriage, right? Polygamy is multiple marriages, right? Pergamus is a mixed marriage or an unfavorable marriage, like a perversion or whatever. Under the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Jesus is talking about his weaponry here. What's the sharp sword with two edges? What is it? The Word of God. You betcha. The remedy for this church is the Word of God. Jesus goes on, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. It may not sound like it, but that's, that's, that's the good news. Let's get to the bad news. <laughs> but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Now to get these letters, you have to know your Old Testament. Who on earth was, what was the doctrine of Balaam? What was all that about? Balaam was a prophet that was hired by Balak, the enemy of Israel. How do I beat these people? And Balaam knew that the way, the only way this king could defeat Israel is for Israel to be out of favor with God. So Balaam counsels Balak 
to get as good-looking gals along the fringe of the camp and get these guys into fornication with these pagan gals. And if you do that, Balak, God's head will turn against Israel and you'll win. So Balaam's giving Balak the doctrine that will put a stumbling block before Israel. And so Jesus is making an analogy here between that and the situation in Pergamos, where they're mixing idolatry. They're faithful on the one hand, and yet they're mixing idolatry with their worship. They're marrying the world rather than being a witness to the world. That's where the Pergamos aspect. So to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. In other words, to compromise with the world. And he goes on, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Previously, it was the deeds of the Nicolaitans God hated. Now they've become the doctrine. You, you see what, do you see the evolution of it going there? Okay. So here's the exhortation. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Oh, oh. Well, of course, the doctrine of Balaam is the spiritual unchastity, marriage with the world. We also find the way of Balaam mentioned in Second Peter. That's where Balaam was a hireling, making a market for his gift. There's a doctrine of way and the error. These are three similar things and yet technically slightly different. The error of Balaam, which is mentioned in Jude 11, is sacrificing eternal riches for temporal gain. So all three involve the same thing. They're slightly different aspects of the same actions, in a sense. Well, anyway, you get to the, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to churches. And again, we have a postscript. To him that overcometh, I will, I will give to eat of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. So there, there ends the letter to Pergamos. Let's take the Thyatira. Thyatira was formerly named Semiramis. And Semiramis, of course, was the consort of Nimrod, the first dictator of the world, back in Genesis 10 and 11. Unto the angel of the church at Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God. Strange term. I mean, he's used other titles. Why so specific? We're going to find the key player here is a gal by the name of Jezebel who calls herself the Queen of Heaven. He's saying, these things saith the Son of God, in contrast to the Queen of Heaven. Follow it so far? These things saith the Son of God, who hath eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Eyes flaming and feet like brass implies judgment coming. So this is a hostile letter. Probably the most hostile of the bunch. I know thy works and charity, and service, and faith, and patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. That's the good part. But here's the concern. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce thy, my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. I gave her spent to repace of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. So what on earth is Jezebel all about? He's using that term as a label 
I don't know that the gal that was causing the trouble in the church at the time, her name was Jezebel. He's calling her a Jezebel, in effect. She may have been named Jezebel, or he may be just drawing your awareness to the scripture, scriptural Jezebel to understand what was she all about. You with me? Let's find out a little bit about Queen Jezebel. For this, you, you would turn into 1 Kings 21. She did a lot of things. First of all, King Ahab had everything he wanted. He's a king. He runs the place. But there was a little guy by the name of the name of Naboth, Naboth, excuse me, that had a little vineyard, and he loved that vineyard. And Ahab wanted the vineyard, and Naboth didn't want to sell it. And King Ahab had a fit. He went into a pout. And Jezebel says, "Hey, let me handle it for you." What does Jezebel do? Well, she arranges an inquisition. She got some false accuser to accuse Nahab, Naboth of some uh, improprieties and had him put to death and took his lands in the name of the king and said, Hey, Ahab, here's my gift to you. So false witnesses, condemned, executed. And Naboth's vineyard was seized for the king. Does this sound familiar regarding history, where you contrive inquisitions to gain lands and wealth for the church? That's the parallel here. And I want you to notice God promised Jezebel that she would be cast into the tribulation. I'll come back to that a little later. And Jesus continues, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he that searcheth the range of the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, wow, as they speak, I will put on, uh, upon you no other burden, but that which you have already, hold fast till I come. Then he has the promise of the overcomer. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. See, they apparently wanted power over the nations before. That wasn't appropriate then, but if they hang in there, he'll give it to them later. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. You notice now the promise of the overcomer is put in the body of the letter, not a postscript. Follow me? See the difference? First time we've seen that. Let's go to Sardis. Under the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. You know, you look at the title, you can just infer by now that the title gives you a clue as to what the remedy is. Whatever Sardis' problem is, it's apparently the Holy Spirit that is the repair. Jesus says, I know thy works. Whoops. Where's the commendation? Usually the commendation comes first, right? There is no commendation in this letter. Ooh, this hurts. Many Protestant commentators make a big thing trying to tie Thyatira to the Roman Catholic Church. That's easy to do, by the way. If that's true, then Sardis is the Reformation. Sardis has nothing good said about it. Ooh, careful. Jesus says, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Ooh. The word name echoes all through this letter. Name, name, name. 
That's a synonym for the denomination. His exhortation, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that they are ready to die. For I have not found thy works complete or perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. Really? Apparently if you are watching, it won't be as a thief. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come upon thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Is the denominational church asleep today prophetically? How strange. The exhortation continues. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Who is they? The few names. Not everyone. Then the promise of the overcomer. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And then the closing salutation. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow. Ask any church, and they'll tell you they're, they're part of Philadelphia, of course, because it's the one that has nothing bad said about it. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, by the way, means brotherly love, as you probably know that. These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. This is the missionary church. When God opens a door, the door is open, like it is in Asia right now. Boy. Exciting. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not. There they are again. They say they are Jews or not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Man, that's pretty neat. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Missler. For a complete listing of resources available, please contact the station or go to khouse.org. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Until next time, may God richly bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.